0: My favorite holidays begins tonight, the Feast of Tabernacles, or in Hebrew, Sukkot. We're getting towards the end of the holiday season, which began with Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and continued with Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And now, just a few days later, Jews around the world will celebrate Sukkot. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about the Feast of Tabernacles and one of the themes of the holiday, unity. We'll look at the biblical practices of Sukkot and how they encourage a spirit of unity. In times that we live in now, when people seem more divided than ever, we need to find ways to unite. Sukkot is a time to bring people together. And in this episode, we'll talk about practical ways that we can all do that. Like all Jewish holidays, the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, is rich in meaning and messages, and the Bible is very clear about the main purpose of the holiday. In Leviticus 23, 42-43, we read, "'Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt.'" I am the Lord your God. Now, that's a lot. Let's unpack that for a moment. God instructs us to live in temporary shelters for seven days. In Hebrew, this kind of shelter is called a sukkah. And in the plural form, these shelters are called sukkot. Sukkah is one sukkah, sukkot is many sukkahs. Sukkot is also the name uh, that the Bible uses for this holiday. The purpose of building these shelters, these Sukkot, is to remember how God cared for his people in the desert when he took them out of Egypt. Yes, he provided shelter and he protected them. So the main theme of this holiday is faith in God's providence, entrusting him for provisions. When we leave our sturdy, comfortable, and secure homes and live in makeshift shelters or huts, as many people call them. We remember that God is the true source of our protection and not anything else. And let me tell you, when I lay outside in my sukkah at night, together with my husband and kids, looking up at the stars in the sky, I definitely feel God's protection like no other time of year. But in addition to focusing on our faith in God during this holiday, it's also a time to focus on unity. The rabbis explained how the theme of unity is found in the things that we do and the way that we do them in this holiday. Let me explain. One of the things that the Bible tells us to do on Sukkot is to bring together the four different species. Here in Israel, just last week, the country was filled with pop-up shops selling the four species mentioned in the Bible and people swarming them in preparation for the holiday. I love how we really feel the holidays here in Israel. It's not just in the Judaica store or the Jewish store, like when I was growing up in America. Here in Israel, every street corner is selling huts, the Sukkot that we could build in our backyards, and the four species that we need. They're saying, Shana Tova, Happy New Year, and Chag Sameach, Happy Holidays. But going back to the four species... Jews buy the four species because in Leviticus 2340, it specifically tells us to. This is what it says. And the first day you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. There are four different items that we are instructed to bring together, a citron, an etrog as we say it in Hebrew, a fruit similar to a lemon, a palm frond, a myrtle branch, and willow branches. We bind the four elements together and bless them every day of Sukkot. So let's go over that one more time. What are the four different items that we're instructed to bring together on the holiday of Sukkot? A citron, or etrog in Hebrew, a palm frond, myrtle branches, and willow branches. One of the meanings behind this practice is that each of the four species represents a different type of person. On Sukkot, we take them all together, we tie them together to demonstrate that we have to embrace all types of people. We also reinforce the idea that we are only complete when we are bound to our fellow human beings. The message is that instead of judging people and separating ourselves from one another, we need to embrace and love all people. And here's another example of how the theme of unity shows up in the holiday of Sukkot. A uh, sukkah is constructed in a way that maximizes the amount of people it can hold. According to Jewish law, sukkah cannot be taller than 20 cubits high. When it comes to the width of a sukkah, there's no limit for how large it can be. A sukkah could, in theory, go on forever, Theoretically, every person in the world could reside in one very large sukkah because Sukkot is a holiday that celebrates unity and is all about inclusivity. In fact, just a few years ago, I was in Ukraine in a sukkah, the largest sukkah ever built, at the orphanage that the fellowship sponsors of Tikva. And in this enormous sukkah, you had orphans from Ukraine. You had hundreds of business people and rabbis. Everyone came from Israel, from America, from across Ukraine to sit together in the largest sukkah in the world. We are encouraged to have guests on Sukkot. And at my home, even though my sukkah isn't as big as the one that I visited in Ukraine. My husband and I look forward every year to hosting lots of guests on this holiday. In fact, this year, we're going to have my sister and her husband and their six kids sleeping over, along with many other guests. This is what makes the holiday special. We make our sukkah like Abraham and Sarah's tent and welcome anyone who wants to join us for some food, some soulful singing, or some inspirational Bible study. It's always one of the highlights of my year. The Bible tells us to be joyful on Sukkot in Deuteronomy 16.14, and nothing brings us greater joy than being together with friends, family, and even guests we might have never met before. The theme of unity continues into how Sukkot will be celebrated in the future. The prophet Zechariah tells us that the Messianic times will be a witness to the spirit of unity when all nations gather together in Jerusalem, on this holiday in Zechariah 14 16 we read then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king the Lord Almighty and to celebrate the festival of tabernacles wow that's powerful those who tried to attack us will actually go up to Jerusalem to worship God in the festival of tabernacles It's a prophecy about the future, but already now, each year on Sukkot, there's a beautiful parade in Jerusalem where people from all over the world unite to show their support for Israel and to fulfill his prophecy. Sukkot is a time of coming together, and in that spirit, I want to talk about what we can do to create more unity in our world. Here at the fellowship, we know all about bringing people together. For 2,000 years, Jews and Christians were tolerant of each other at best and bitter enemies in the worst times. But now, for the first time in history, we have a relationship, a friendship, and the unity between us has resulted in incredible blessings for all of us. So I want to share with you three ways that I have learned to build bridges of understanding, of unity, just as my father, Rabbi Gil Eckstein of Blessed Memory, did in his lifetime. There are three ways that we can bring all people together and foster this messianic vision of more unity in the world. Here's the first thing we can do. Make it a practice to give all people the benefit of the doubt. This is a big one because so many relationships are ruined because of misunderstandings or the inability to see things from another person's perspective. And it's such a shame because it really doesn't need to be that way. So many connections are severed because of a mistake, because of a misunderstanding. If we want to live in a more unified world, we have to stop writing people off so quickly and so easily just because we had a misunderstanding. When we aren't so quick to judge and react when it seems that someone has offended us, we have nothing to lose and a whole lot to gain. I learned this lesson from my father in the way that he reacted when a prominent leader said something about the Jewish people that was considered extremely offensive. It happened in 1980. Reverend Bailey Smith, who at the time was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, gave a speech in which he mentioned that the Jewish prayers have no value because, and I quote, God Almighty does not hear the prayer of a Jew. That speech got national attention, and Jewish organizations were understandably up in arms. They condemned Reverend Smith and demanded a retraction. But my father reacted very differently. He suspected that the reverend didn't fully understand the implications of his words, and that he spoke not from a place of hatred or evil, but from a place of misunderstanding. So instead of lashing out at the reverend, he invited him to go on a trip with him to Israel. Reverend Smith accepted my father's invitation, and he brought along a delegation of fellow Southern Baptist ministers. The trip was a huge success. It was full of meaningful experiences and conversations that cleared up a lot of misconceptions. The trip gave the ministers a better understanding and appreciation for the Jewish people, and it initiated a genuine friendship between my father and Reverend Smith. When they returned to America, my father was invited to speak at Reverend Smith's church, and he preached on the topic of Jewish evangelical fellowship. His message was well-received, and after that, my father was welcome in Southern Baptist congregations all across America. Here's the thing. The event that connected my father to Reverend Smith in the first place, those unfortunate words about Jewish prayer, could have easily driven the wedge deeper into the divide between Jews and Christians. But because my father was willing to give the Reverend the benefit of the doubt, he was able to bring Jews and Christians closer than they had ever been before. To me, this story is the perfect example of the healing that is possible when we give others the benefit of the doubt. Whether it is a family member, a friend on social media, or someone in a leadership position, we need to judge less and forgive more. Our culture has normalized shredding people by analyzing every wrong word and misstep that someone might take. But this path will only lead to more division, and it's time to change course. We need to self-assess, not be judging others. We need to head back towards unity, towards respectful dialogue, forgiveness, and understanding. And it's up to us to steer the course. Here's the second thing that we can do to create more unity. We need to reach out to others, specifically to people who are different than us. We need to reach out to people who we probably won't get to know if we don't go out of our way to connect with them. And one of the best ways to connect with a stranger is through acts of kindness and giving. I'll give you an example of what I mean from an experience that I had shortly after I moved to Israel over 15 years ago when I first started working at the fellowship. At that time, one of my responsibilities was distributing aid to the poor and needy in Israel. Right away, I had a lot of experience delivering food to elderly Holocaust survivors. Even though I had never met them before, I felt an immediate bond with them because so many of them reminded me of my own grandfather, who was a Holocaust survivor, too. But one time, I was scheduled to deliver food boxes to a new Jewish immigrant to Israel from Ethiopia. Until then, I had almost no real contact or relationships with any Ethiopian Jews, I knew that they were Jewish, just like me. I knew that they were descendants of the tribe of Dan, but other than that, I knew that we didn't have much in common because the reality is they spoke a different language, Amharic. I spoke American English. I grew up in a Western world, and they grew up in rural Ethiopia. But. The other reality that we see all over Israel is that we're like brothers and sisters reunited after 2000 years of exile. So we have lots of similarities and brotherhood, and we have lots of differences which were shaped and influenced by the countries we came from. So when I went to visit my first Ethiopian family, I didn't know what to expect. We went into a home that had three generations of family members living in it. I presented the family with a food box on behalf of the fellowship, and our host invited us to sit down and have some coffee. I was about to decline their offer. I had a feeling that it wouldn't taste exactly like the Starbucks coffee I was used to from America. But the person next to me quickly whispered, you have to take it or it will be considered rude. He said, you don't have a mutual language, so this is how they say thank you. And I really think you should accept it. Of course, I was suddenly excited to sit down and accept the offer. This was my first sip of Ethiopian-style coffee. And although it was very different from what I was used to, I enjoyed it so much because I knew it had love and thanksgiving put into it. It was the language of the heart and the soul. And my hosts smiled as they watched me enjoy it. So here we were, me in my American clothing with my English accent and them in their Ethiopian dress speaking Amharic. We couldn't have been more different, but we began to connect in a deep way. They told me through a translator how the grandparents and their family who had made Aliyah to Israel had never seen running water before, how they were still in shock that they made it to Israel and that they were living the prophecies that they've been studying for 2,000 years in exile. I told them how much I admired them about my own experience moving to Israel and how lucky I felt to be alive during these miraculous and prophetic times. And I also told them about our amazing Christian friends who want to be part of the prophecy and are blessing Israel in so many ways, including the food box that I brought them. I couldn't understand their language and they couldn't understand mine. We spoke through an interpreter, but we formed a bond that was beyond words. I heard their tone of voice, and I saw the kind of look in their eyes, and by the time I left, these people that had seemed so different in the beginning of our visit felt like family. I would guess that until that time, the Ethiopian Jewish family had never met a Christian American, and I'm sure that they had no idea that there were Christians who cared about them. Here I was, a Orthodox Jewish woman telling them that I'm delivering aid on behalf of Christians in America. And in normal life, I'm not sure that they would have ever had a meaningful encounter with someone like me from such a different background and demographic in Israel just a few weeks after they landed. But through that short yet significant encounter, we created a bond, a friendship, and it took more than one step, I believe, in unifying the people of Israel and our friends around the world. One of the things that my father always insisted upon is that everything that the fellowship gives to Israel, whether it's a food box, a bomb shelter, or a unit in a hospital building, is that it's always marked with the logo of the fellowship. He didn't do it because he wanted the credit or publicity, but he wanted Israelis to know that Christians around the world care about us and give generously in order to support us. This builds bridges between the Jewish and Christian communities, and after almost four decades, the fellowship has completely reshaped the way that Jews perceive Christians. Until recently, Christians were generally seen as the enemy of the Jews, but because of my father and what he dedicated his life to, Jews now know that we have Christian friends who care about us and share many of our core values. It has created a unity among us that I know makes God very, very happy. It doesn't matter if you reach out to someone across the globe or to someone down your block. We need to reach out to those who are different than us with kindness and love. Every time we form a relationship with those that are different than us, we break down the barriers that keep us divided and build up the bonds that will make us all stronger. So far, we've said that one way to increase unity is to give people the benefit of the doubt, and another way is to reach out to people that are different than us. But sometimes we might reach out to those people and find that there's still so much that divides us, so much that we disagree upon, different core beliefs, opposing political views, different perspectives. When that happens, we need to embrace a third way to foster unity, and that is to focus not on what we disagree upon, but on what we have in common. This is the idea that the fellowship was founded on, the idea that we have Jews and Christians who, for so many generations, focused on what tore them apart, what they disagreed on. But now we have to focus on our commonalities. We need to create more unity in the world by focusing on what we agree on. Let me tell you about how this came up recently in my life. Earlier this year, the fellowship donated a very special ambulance, a mobile intensive care unit to a Druze village in the north of Israel. In case you don't know anything about the Druze people, I'll tell you a little bit about them. The Druze people are Arabs who follow an esoteric monotheistic religion. So they aren't Muslims, even though they are Arabs and have always lived in the Middle East. There are less than 2 million Druze in the entire world, and about 150,000 of them live in Israel and have lived here for hundreds of years. They have their own unique culture, beliefs, and way of living. So when I met the leaders of the Druze village, where we donated the special ambulance, I felt like I had even less in common with them than my Ethiopian Jewish brothers and sisters. It wasn't just the culture and the language that separated us, but also our fundamental beliefs and our entire way of life. But then I remembered something that I had heard about the Druze in Israel. They are extremely loyal, so much so that they are willing to serve in the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, in huge numbers. And a high percentage of them even serve in the most elite units defending Israel. Many Druze soldiers have given their lives for the state of Israel. Not only that, but the Druze consider themselves descendants of the biblical Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses. And just a few weeks ago, they celebrated their annual holiday where they visited Jethro's grave in Tiberias. So if Jews come from Moses and the Druze come from Jethro, that makes us family. This past spring, when Israel experienced a wave of terrorism, an Israeli Druze soldier was murdered by an ISIS terrorist. A group of Jewish teens went to comfort his family, and this is what the father of the murdered soldier said to them. He said, We share the same land, the same homes, the same fate. When you think about it from that perspective, the things that we don't have in common hardly matter compared to the things that we do. And I think this applies to many types of people that we might feel different than, separate from, and even at odds with on certain issues. Sure, we might disagree on a lot, but can we focus on the things that we can agree upon? Can we come together for the sake of the values that we all hold dear God doesn't ask us all to be the same, but he does ask us to be united, to stand together, to love one another, and to help each other. If we stay fixated on how we are different, we will always be at odds with each other. But if we can shift our focus to our commonalities, we can create a lot more unity in the world, and that unity is a blessing that we will all benefit from. Friends, the time to come together and put our differences aside is now. We face too many enemies and challenges to let our differences weaken us. As people of faith, we need to come together for the sake of the values that we share. We are stronger and better together, and together we can defeat any threats in miraculous ways. Psalm 133.1 says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And verse 3 adds, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. This week, let's bring people together and draw down the blessings that come from living in unity. Let's choose to see the good in everyone to give people the benefit of the doubt. Let's reach out to those who are different than us with generosity, kindness, and love. And let's stay focused on what we have in common with each other and overlook the small differences that don't even matter in the long run. It might be challenging to overlook the differences and disagreements that usually divide us. But when we do, God promises that goodness, pleasantness, and blessings will follow. Shavuatov, my friends, have a wonderful week, and Chag Sukkot Sameach, wishing you a joyful Sukkot from here in the Holy Land. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at Yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at Yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next week.